0: Would you rather invest your time to learn a little bit about it and to get in and learn it? Or would you rather invest the money in having somebody come in who's an expert? And there's no wrong answer. But when you're starting out, I tend to see more people invest their time because that's what they have more of than money until they hit a critical mass on investing their money in professionals to open up their time.
1: Welcome to She Leads First, a podcast for female entrepreneurs who are ready to build a brand that will become a revenue-generating machine. Hey guys, I'm Emily Sincata, a brand and business strategist with years of experience in both marketing and online product development. Each week, myself and my guests are going to share our own experiences and knowledge with you so that you can figure out exactly what about your brand is going to keep people coming back for more. You'll leave this podcast equipped with the confidence to tackle those big goals that are going to scale the impact of your brand and your bank account. It's time for you to embody that CEO energy and start leading first. After all, you're building more than just a business. You are building a movement. On today's episode, I have the absolute pleasure of introducing you to one of my favorite financial friends. Her name is Shannon Weinstein. And Shannon is a fractional CFO. Don't worry, she explains what that is right away in the episode for us. But she's a CFO for growth-minded business owners, a CPA, and a teacher at heart. Her real talk and relatable examples simplify the financial side of business so business owners like you can stop stressing and start scaling. She really is such a phenomenal teacher. You'll hear throughout our entire interview that even though we're talking about sometimes complicated or overwhelming in, if they're taught in a really dense way, concepts when it comes to money, she's got such a beautiful way of pulling forward analogies and examples that make it so crystal clear and easy for you to understand. Shannon is also the host of what she loves to call the IRS's least favorite podcast. It's called Keep What You Earn. You guys, I was a guest on her show as well almost two years ago now, I think. It was closer to the beginning of my business. So go check out our episode there after you listen to this one. But she releases daily episodes, five a week. Isn't that incredible? Shannon is also a frequent speaker in business, mentorship communities, and masterminds alike. And I know that you are going to gain so much value out of today because we are breaking down all of the different components and people that you may need to hire in your business to manage your finances. And she breaks it down in such a simple and practical way. Are you ready? Let's dive in. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of She Leads First. I am here with Shannon Weinstein today, a good friend of mine who's been a friend on the internet only for a while. And I swear, we just saw in person. We just met in person for the first time, but we were talking about how I really thought we had met in person before. And Shannon, you're like, nope, nope. This is the first time, Emily. So
0: (laughs) Shannon. Yeah. Welcome. First off, first and foremost, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. I'm doing great. And it was so funny because that happened to me a lot recently is like meeting people for the first time coming out of the pandemic and being able to travel. And I'm way more excited to meet them than they are. So it's like completely like, who are you again? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> and it's like, we've met before. And I'm like, no, we haven't. And I'm like, tearing up ready to hug them. And they're like, whoa. So I love it. I love it. It's so funny. As soon as it
1: clicked who you were, because you came up to me, and you're like, Emily, do you know who I am? And I was like, I think so. I don't know. What's your name? <laughs> Because <laughs> you look so familiar. I was like, oh my gosh. No, yes, I know you. I love you. Have been on your podcast. It's just so funny how deep of connections you can build with someone on the online space and then be like, oh, I've never actually met you in person or seen you from the
0: waist down. Exactly. I was like, maybe if I put a block here, you'll recognize me if I only show my bus stop. <laughs> Probably would have. That's so funny. But I also just heard that you are in Costa Rica,
1: also the power of the internet. How long have you been living there?
0: Since 2020, about splitting my year between here in Connecticut, off and on. So like about half the year each year since 2020.
1: Oh, that's living the dream. It truly is. I'm so excited that you are on today. I know everyone listening is gonna get so much value out of this episode because we are breaking down your money at your tax strategy, who you need to hire for help in your business and when, which is so important. And this is the gift that you gave to me when I started my business almost two years ago now. I was on your podcast and Afterwards, we just got to talking and I was like, wait a minute, Shannon, I don't know any of this stuff. And you broke it down for me. so simple. And I can't tell you what a gift that was and how helpful it was. So I'm so excited that we now get to do that for everybody who is listening here. So first thing I want to dive into, you are a fractional CFO. And I laughed when we talked about your title because I'm like, that's one of those things that everybody hears that title, but nobody knows what it means. So can you break down that for us first?
0: What is a fractional CFO? Absolutely. Fractional CFO is the type of person who can help you turn your data into decisions. That is how I would articulate it. But what that actually means is that we are somebody who understands the numbers and speaks the language so we can translate it for you, the business owner, so that you can actually run your business and move toward your goals in the right direction. Think of us as the navigator in the front seat of the car with the map or in this case with the navigation tool, the IMAPs, whatever, Google Maps, that's telling you, hey, there's a pothole coming up. Hey, you might want to make a right over here to go a faster route because there's traffic ahead. So anything that we can do to use our expertise, our knowledge that we bring to the table as CPAs or accountants or tax pros to serve you, that's really what it's all about is bringing our knowledge to the table as an extension of you as the business owner but with that financial expertise. So when we say fractional CFO, fractional just meaning part-time. I work for multiple different companies. I actually have 10 different businesses that I serve so that I am the CFO of each of these businesses. I can pull my experiences from one or the other to the other ones. It's a really cool feeling when I can share that knowledge. But then also the CFO being exactly as I described, that financial person sitting at the table with the business owner trying to strategize.
1: And so helpful and so needed because we don't all inherently have that financial literacy, right? Like you went to school for this, you got certified in this. We we don't know it just because we run a business. So everybody needs, I think, that objective outside eye to come in and say, hey, here's your blind spots or here's what you need to be prepared for. Here's what you need to be working on. However, not always from day one in your business, which is a great segue into what we're talking about today. So I would love if you can open us up here with this rundown of who are the important players in our business when it comes to our finances and our tax strategy. And let's start to talk about when we need each and every one of them. But first, just the
0: who are the players? Who do we need to know? Right. And there are so many different labels for the different people that you work with in your business. And what people don't realize is they're going to ask for a particular label and not really ask for the right one very, very frequently. And I'm going to explain why. But most importantly, what I want you to do is understand the people who help you in the form of the questions they answer for you. Because that is more the important thing to understand. When I have this question, this is who I go to. As opposed to what they do for you, think about as what they answer for you or what value they give you. Because there are so many different professionals that do an entirely different thing. If you think about it, we're all like restaurants and it's like, they could all offer the same type of menu item, but have a very different experience, a very different ambiance, a very different service level, a very different price point. But they all have maybe a burger on the menu. It's just going to be very different depending on where you go, but you're going to find the right one for you. So as opposed to what's on the menu, let's talk about what they give you. So The first off is a bookkeeper. Everyone pretty much knows what a bookkeeper does, but they're collecting the data. They're making sure that you have the journal, the ledger, the history of where your money has been, come and gone, why, where did it go, what have you been spending money on from a category standpoint. They also may include a little bit of what I call financial operations, which is, are our vendors getting paid? Are customers paying us on time? So that's what we call accounts payable and accounts receivable. Are we in a position where we're waiting for money? What is in our cash balance right now? How much are we actually making in profit? You'll gather all of that information from your financial statements, which are usually compiled by the bookkeeper. The bookkeeper is basically showing you the data and reporting it out to you. Then you get into tax professionals who are going to be responsible for publishing the story of how your money spent the year. That is really your tax return. So your tax return is just telling the story and saying, here's what happened last year in Shannon's business. And that person will publish that story. That does not mean the ink is still wet and they can change the outcome. Typically, it means they are typing up what they've been given. And that's what people misunderstand a lot of the times is you really can't change much without that hot tub time machine. Like, I'm sorry, you can't change much in April related to like, oh, my taxes are too high. What can I do now? And I'm like, go back six months <laughs> and change something. Just to clarify, when you're saying they can't change,
1: you're talking about how much is owed in taxes for the- Yeah, people. like
0: you can't change the ending of the story after the ink is dry is how I would articulate So you can't change how much you're going to owe in taxes. I mean, you can do a few little things, but like you're really not going to want to strategize and tax plan- after the year is done. That's not planning, that's after the fact. So a tax preparer will typically prepare your taxes, but they may not be as involved in strategizing, planning ahead, co-authoring the story with you. They are just going to report out what happened and they will do that for a lot of different people. A tax professional who offers tax planning, tax strategy, this is why it's so complicated, guys, because there's so many freaking labels for what they call it, but tax planning and tax strategy are kind of one and the same. And that is planning ahead for what's going to happen and then figuring out what to do about it, figuring out what actions you can take, what things you can do to help reduce your tax liability, or maybe just plan for what that liability is going to be and save and create a saving plan, whatever that may look like, and paying your estimates, as we talked about before, that would kind of fall under the advice of either a tax strategist or if your tax professional does more than just produce your returns. H&R Block just does tax returns. Like they're not gonna pick up the phone in July. I don't even think they're open in July. I think they just kind of pop up and disappear like spirit Halloweens, you know, like they, they pop up and then suddenly they're gone and they will just prepare the returns for you. So you have to make sure the service level of what you're doing is appropriate for what you're looking for. So if you can't ask them questions like, how do I reduce my liability? Then they're probably just preparing and you need something more. And then finally, you get the CFO level, which is what I've described before, which is really around that financial strategy, growing and scaling your company and earning more and keeping more of it.
1: Okay. So you're at that fourth level there. We want to hire Shannon, we got to go to level four.
0: (laughs) We got to go to level four, but you need all of these people. So you need a bookkeeper when you're first starting out. I would say... I'm going to be bold and say after about 6 months in your business, you should probably at least get some type of help with your books. I would say if you're doing it yourself on a spreadsheet, crayon on a napkin, I don't care. If you're tracking something, if you're writing something down about what's coming in and going out, that is better than nothing, but after oh, 6 to 12 months maybe I'll be I'll give you a little leeway there. If you are, you know, still doing it yourself, I think that there is an opportunity there to outsource at least a review of it, a quarterly check-in with a bookkeeper to compile the data, make sure it's giving you the information you need. Because it doesn't have to be this like massive financial commitment or monthly thing. You could do it every quarter. You could do it once a year, as long as you have a really clear understanding of, hey, I want to meet with you once a year in say November before the year ends, see where we're at, see what's going on with my business. But again, the more frequently you meet with this bookkeeper, the more in tune you're going to be with the trends and then be able to take action on them. You're going to get the real-time feedback of how decisions in your business are affecting your numbers. And that's more valuable than waiting until the end of the year and only putting it together so that your tax pro can fill out the forms. Otherwise, you're not really consuming it and using it to your advantage, which is kind of a disservice and, and stripping it away of a lot of the, uh, the value is if you're not being able to consume your numbers during the year.
1: Yeah. So. I want to almost pause and dig in here just a little bit because I know that there's a good chunk of my audience who their business right now is a side hustle maybe. So they still have income coming in from their full-time job or they just haven't really taken the time to separate their personal and their business finances even. I would love if we can kind of like zoom in on this stage of business and talk about one, why it's so important to separate your finances and two, what it means to get a bookkeeping system set up. So do we need different software? Like these types of questions because i know it can feel really overwhelming and also this big feeling of like well why do i need to do this right now if my business is still small.
0: Yeah, and it's so funny because i say the time to do it is while it's small because when it's big it's heavier lifting. You want to move the things around when they're small and when the stakes are lower. When the stakes are higher, you're then going to make the excuse of well it's too much of a heavy lift. I mean, just now you were saying i don't want to move my bank account cuz oh it's just such a pain in the ass. But like Because you got bigger things to worry about because you're a bigger business now. So like, there will always be some reason that you're not going to go do it. There will always be a reason. You might as well just do the, the thing when it's little is my take on it is like, just take care of it now. So you don't have to think about it when you're a bigger business and you have better things to do. But separating your business finances is really key for a couple of reasons. One is just sheer tracking, like knowing what's coming in, going out, and it's separated from day one, as close to day one as possible is ideal, especially if you have an LLC. Now you don't need an LLC to do this. If you have a sole proprietorship, which is just a non-LLC and you're operating with yourself, your social security number, just as you as an individual. So like Emily, the business can have her own bank account. You could have a personal bank account that is for your stuff then you can also open a second personal bank account that you happen to connect to your stripe your kajabi whatever that will now transact only through that bank account and it's just a dedicated it's like a second gym locker at the gym it's another place to put stuff with your name on it you're just going to cover i say you pay for both it doesn't cost money but you're paying for two gym lockers and you can you have the pleasure of using both of them but here's the thing if you have an llc you want to set one up but you're going to set it up under your ein number not your social. Because the whole point of getting that LLC was it was a different locker number. It was a different code so that if someone busted into one of your gym lockers, they can't get into the other one. If you have the same combo on both of them, now they can get into both. But if you have two different locks, two different locks with different combos, then if someone breaks into one, they will only get one locker worth. That is exactly how it works with LLCs when it comes to liability protection, although quite simplified. It's basically respecting that there's a second locker for your stuff that you're gonna put stuff in that's to safeguard it. So your business should have all of its assets in its own bank account and your personal with its own stuff. Because God forbid, and I'm not a lawyer, not legal advice, disclaimer, disclaimer, Right. But if you got sued, like you got into a car accident, you got sued, they can't come after your business stuff. They can only go after that one locker and vice versa. A client, something goes sideways, they want to sue you, they can't come after your personal stuff. And again, I'm not speaking in absolutes. There are things that can happen. But if you don't separate your finances, Emily, most people don't know this, you're poking holes in the barriers. And if you're not going to respect the boundaries of these two entities, a judge in court won't. So if you don't respect your own boundaries between your LLC and your sole proprietor or yourself as an individual, then you can't expect the law to enforce it for you.
1: It's so important.
0: Yeah. You're cutting a hole in your own fence.
1: Yeah, definitely. I feel like if I'm thinking back to when I was getting started, it was just hard to envision getting in trouble for something or something like that. It's like, well, my business will never be in a position like that, or I'm never going to be in a negative position like that. But another way that I really conceptualized it and started to understand it was at the end of the year, you're going to have to report. You're going to have to be able to say how much money did my business make. And if you don't have that in a very clear locker of its own, to use your analogy. It's so hard to know. And then you get into trouble. with You have to auditing. go through the whole thing.
0: Yeah. You got to like empty out the closet and go, what goes where, what goes where? And it's painful. And it's like a pile of bank statements and tears in March and April that you just don't want to deal with. And the other reason too, that I'm going to bring up is if the God forbid you got in an IRS audit, which I can talk about what that actually looks like too. But if you get into an IRS audit, the one of the first things they do is ask for bank statements. And if you have any transactions from your business in your personal bank statement, they're going to ask for all of it and scrutinize everything. And every deposit you ever made, even if it was a Venmo from a sushi lunch, you're split with your friends, they're going to say, that might be income. That might be income. That might be income. And now they, now they think you need to be taxed on everything because they're going to question everything. So it's kind of like putting it into a room in your house and closing the door when someone comes over and like they can't get into that room If you're keeping them separated, you're throwing a boundary up also where the IRS will go, we have no reason to look at the personal bank statements if we're auditing the business because there's nothing in there for us to find. So that's another reason to respect the boundaries as well. It's not just to make your accountant's life easier, although that is a wonderful side effect. It's really about protecting you as the business owner and your best interests.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So, if somebody's listening to this and they're like, all right, fine, I will start my bookkeeping. I will separate it. I will get what I need. Do you recommend hiring a bookkeeper off the bat? Do you recommend, I think you said like six to 12 months, maybe do it yourself? What does that entail if you're doing it yourself? That's the first part of this question. And the second one is, if we are ready to hire somebody, how the heck do you find
0: a bookkeeper? Great questions. So, I would love it if everyone started with a bookkeeper, but I know that is not always practical. So, Here's the thing, if you're gonna spend some money on a bookkeeper or let's say the equivalent of, let's just say between two and $500 a month, if I'm using a really like casting a wide net on a range of what this could cost you, right? Then I would say, if you're gonna have that budget and I'm gonna go against, my bookkeepers are gonna kill me, but I'm gonna say, spend that money on someone that's gonna help you generate revenue. Or spend that money on something that's going to create a better customer experience to get people coming back so you have a viable business, you are generating products, you are selling widgets, like, or services or coaching, spend it on enhancing your product or enhancing the way that you sell or getting more clients in so you have money, spend it on making more money to start with that that is first priority it has to be something that will generate a return for you. A bookkeeper is going to be an essential cost for you, don't get me wrong, but I think that your first priority should be creating a stream of investing that will create more money back and multiply back to you. So that is number 1. Now, when it comes to bookkeeping, you should do it yourself if you are comfortable. If you are not comfortable and you were like I would rather go into like a pit of alligators than do my own bookkeeping, I get it. But that means that you have to either invest in hiring somebody find somebody, you know, who's willing to chip in and take a quick look at stuff, invest in training yourself a little bit on how to do it. And it really does not take that much time. I promise. Especially if you don't have that much activity, it's going to be like an hour a month and everyone just runs away from this one hour a month. And then they finally do it. And they're like, that's it. And I'm like, yeah, you've just been avoiding that the whole time, acting like it's a monster under the bed. And it's actually a mouse if you just look at it. And you actually dive in and do it and go, oh, that that took me 20 minutes. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I I don't know why you've been putting this off for 60 days.
1: Yeah, that's what I learned after I hired a bookkeeper. They were like, well, you actually didn't have that many transactions because you sell high tickets. They were like, this isn't that much work. (laughs) I was like, oh, so I could have done it myself?
0: (laughs) Probably, yeah. And it's nothing to be afraid of. And I think that's the thing is you just have to know yourself and go, would you rather invest your time to learn a little bit about it and to get in and learn it or would you rather invest the money in having somebody come in who's an expert? And there's no wrong answer. But when you're starting out, I tend to see more people invest their time because that's what they have more of than money until they hit a critical mass on investing their money in professionals to open up their time.
1: I love the practical, pragmatic advice around this, because I think that that's the piece of the conversation that's missing a lot. And then that people bump up against problems of like, okay, I hear you that I should be getting professional eyes on this, but where's the money to do so? Like, I'm just trying to make more money. I don't want to spend it out on somebody to look at my money to tell me I don't have a lot of money right now. Like that's, (laughs) I think, where people get really stuck. So I appreciate that you have a a bit more of a pragmatic approach to it, because I think it's very helpful for anyone listening. So the next thing I want to move into here is I noticed that on these list of the four professionals, we did not hear the word accountant come out of your mouth. I would love for you to dive
0: into a little bit around why. So everybody will post on Facebook or in their communities and their mastermind groups, their networks, and say, anyone know a good accountant? Anyone have a good CPA? And I'm gonna tell you why those are unhelpful questions. I'm gonna tell you specifically why an accountant or a CPA. Let me start with CPA. A CPA is a credential. It means I passed an exam 15 years ago. I am a CPA. So I can say this like anecdotally. I passed an exam 15 years ago and I applied for a license and paid a bunch of money and I have to take 80 hours of education every two years. Therefore, I am a CPA. However, however, I can specialize in any number of disciplines. I could be a forensic specialist. I could be a valuation specialist. I could study doing auditing. I can do tax work. I could never actually do a tax return in my life and be a CPA because all it is, is saying doctor. Just because someone's a doctor doesn't mean they've done heart surgery. Okay. So it's a different specialty. A CPA is a designation saying you passed a test on all of the things at a very basic level. But then in our careers, we tend to specialize. We tend to work for certain companies. We tend to find what we like and really go in and go narrow. And typically, if you say, do anyone know a good CPA? What they typically mean is a good tax preparer or a good tax professional. They're looking for someone to do their taxes. A better way to approach those questions is what you're looking for. So instead of saying, anyone know a good Mexican restaurant or good restaurant, I should say, say, anyone know where I can get a good taco? Much more specific, much more effective. If you're looking for a taco, don't say anyone know a good restaurant. Let's be specific about what we're looking for. And that's what you guys are doing by saying accountant or CPA. And it's not anyone's fault. It's just that we've done a crap job of explaining this to people, that accountant and CPA are meaningless because they cover the entire spectrum of the whole industry, the whole profession. So what's important is you get specific on what are you trying to solve for? What questions do you have? And what would you like to get out of that? So I need someone to do my taxes. I need someone to do my books. I'm looking for someone who can help me with X, Y, and Z. And that's a really important factor is knowing what you're looking for for them to do to find the right specialist.
1: So does accountant on its own have a specific meaning of like, if you are an accountant, all these services fall under that umbrella?
0: Generally, we use the word accountant. It can, it's so subjective. So like, I'm an accountant. Somebody who is a staff accountant at a big corporation says they're an accountant. Somebody who is a fractional CFO would say they're an accountant. Somebody who is a tax pro would say they're an accountant. So like, everyone identifies as accountant as like a broad career category because it's easy and people understand it. So we kind of default to it because it's the layman term for like, okay, I know what you do generally. Because if I say fractional CFO, to your point, everyone's like, what is that? Accountant is also a good way to dismiss it and say, I'm an accountant. And then like, it usually ends conversations, but <laughs> like, you know, the, the real audio that's so, like, I'm an accountant. <laughs> I just tell everyone I'm an accountant. It's the most generic way of describing what we do. You can say an accountant, but then go a little bit deeper because that won't give me any help in determining who I can connect you with. So does bookkeeper
1: also fall under that umbrella term or is it kind of like anything above a bookkeeper becomes an accountant?
0: Yeah, it's so tricky because even bookkeepers say they're accountants. So it's like anyone in the entire profession that touches numbers could theoretically say accountant and not be wrong. That's why it's just the most vague term and I never use it. But a bookkeeper is a bookkeeper. That's why I say bookkeeper, tax pro, CFO. A tax pro could be a strategist or a preparer, but really it comes down to I'm looking for an accountant usually means you're looking for somebody who will do your taxes or do your books or both. But if you can be specific about what, which of those or what of that you need done, you're going to get to your answer a lot faster.
1: Okay. This is wildly helpful to clear up because I think that was one of those questions that I still had in the back of my head too of like, where does accountant fit in? So
0: I know that other people have these questions too. It's like doctor. It's like the most broad term to describe anyone who has the credential. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Okay. So interesting. So then we're moving the next phase is tax preparer. And you said that there's the preparer versus the strategist. So the tax preparer is the h and block. They're the people where it's like, please just help me do my tax return. Tell me how much money I owe to the IRS that type of conversation. Typically, yeah. So then the strategist, at what point is it time to upgrade
0: into that level of support in your business? So I would say now I would say there's tax preparation, tax strategy as like functions, right? There are people who do one of either of them and there are people who do both. And my recommendation is find someone who does both because you want to find someone who will co-author the story and then publish it with you. But they will meet with you during the year to help you plan, to work with you, to understand your business, to just be kind of embedded in the story so that they can follow along. And they're not just playing catch up in April and relying on you to give them all the information and all the documentation. You want to find someone who you can meet with during the year and discuss your business so they can get to know you a bit better. Because as you grow and you need more strategies, you want someone with that history who will just like know, that these are your goals, this is what you're trying to do, without having to play catch up and then have to upgrade. So I would say you want to start a relationship with someone who can maybe say, hey, I have my books done, will you prepare the taxes? Yeah. And then as you grow, and tax strategy really comes into play, by the way, not just for business owners, but if you own real estate, or if you have other sources of income too, that can add to your complexity of your tax strategy personally. So It will depend on your personal situation, 100%. But if you're only looking at your business, there are tax strategies you can take advantage of as soon as $50,000 in profit. So if you are hitting $50,000 in profit or more, there is probably a strategy, namely the S corporation is something that comes on my radar that you should be looking at with your CPA, with your tax pro, whatever they call themselves. You should be discussing it with them to say, hey, is this something I should be considering? Or they should be, ideally bringing these ideas to the table as they're watching you grow.
1: Yeah. Oh, there's so much in there. So my first question that's popping up is if you are going, let's say, to a tax preparer for the first time, and you want to find somebody that you can build a relationship with for that strategic piece as well, what are the questions that we should be asking that person to figure out if they're the person who can do that with us, or if they are more of like, quote unquote, just the preparer, the H&R block?
0: This is one of my favorite questions because I think it is under-asked is like, what should I be asking the person who's going to see me financially naked? (laughs) So this is important though, because people don't put enough thought into hiring these people. They go with the convenience of my dad's guy, my uncle, my whatever. They've been doing my taxes since I was a kid. They do the family, blah, blah, blah. And that somehow qualifies them to work on your business. But You have to be really clear on what am I looking for in this person? Actually not settling for the arranged marriage, but actually dating to find the person that you want to find. I know you're laughing, but I'm like, this is literally how it feels because it's like the, well, they're right there. Remember like the old times where it was like the neighbors got married because it's the only person they saw. That's how we're picking accountants right now and not going on match.com and actually intentionally searching for the qualities we look for in a partner. What I want to do is create this environment where we can actually search for what we want. And that means... Asking questions like, what is your preferred communication method? How long can I expect before I hear back from you if I ask a question? How should I be asking questions to you? How often should we be meeting? Should I be booking meetings or do you want to set a routine cadence? It's a lot of it around communication, by the way, you know, spoiler alert, because I think a lot of the breakdowns happen in not being able to speak to one another and waiting for the other one somehow to text back and go, it's the stalemate, right? Because it's like, I don't know what to ask them And then they're on the other side because I've been on the other side and they're going, funny, they haven't asked me anything. Yeah, I think it's that piece though. It's like, you don't know what you don't know. So you don't know what to ask. Exactly. But the problem is the accountant is not trained on how to teach. They are trained to know a lot of things and to share it with you when you ask them. However, they're not trained to read your mind either and vice versa. So there has to be a communication and a dialogue, but a lot of accountants aren't used to dealing with people who are hesitant around money. They're dealing with other accountants. We're surrounded by other accountants our whole career. So we're like, well, if they have a question, they're just going to ask me. And then you realize like, wait a minute, these entrepreneurs aren't comfortable just asking these questions. They may feel ashamed. They may feel stupid. They may feel like, who am I to ask this question? Or this is a stupid question anyway. Or I don't know. I'll figure this out. I'll Google it. I'll GPT it, whatever. And it's like, no, you should ask that person. But I think there's a lot of a lot of emotions come up in between there. And that creates a riff in communication. But going back to your question on questions to ask, right, it's communication style. It's what's the best way to get in touch with you? Will I be working with you or will I I be working with one of your staff? That is a big question, too, because a lot of the times the partner will sell you and then you'll work with the staff who's studying for their exam and maybe have like six months experience.
1: I learned that one the hard way. (laughs)
0: And that is something they all do. Like accounting firms, bigger firms, all have that type of model. I know this because I worked in them for years and I'm like, I don't really like that. Like if I'm buying you, I trust you. I want to work with you. So if like, so just have your staff sell me then because I'm going to work with them anyway. So there's that piece. But I think you have to just get ahead of, you got to think about maybe if you had a bad experience or so, you know someone who had a bad experience, actually listen to the story. And here's another interesting thing. This is going to sound like such a weird hack read bad Yelp reviews of accountants. Not the ones you're looking at necessarily, but actively look for bad Yelp reviews of accountants. And here's why. Because you'll hear the same things come up. They never responded to me. They took forever to get me my paperwork. Because if you haven't had a bad experience, borrow those of others and then go, how do I prevent this from happening to me by asking questions proactively to prevent that? So if it's, they never responded back to me, the question becomes, hey, what is the average response time I can expect for a question or an email I send you? Or will you tell me if you're going to file an extension on my behalf if you can't get to my return on time? Are you going to proactively communicate with me? Are we going to meet to discuss my federal estimates that I need to pay? Things like that. Like You have to just kind of think of what could go wrong in a way and then circle back around to what do I have to ask to make sure that doesn't happen?
1: Yeah. I'm So much of this, unfortunately, I'm like, I had to learn through trial and error because even- We all do. Even with that piece, like you're saying of like, are we going to meet to go over my returns? That not a question that would have even come close to being in my head to ask when I was finding the first people that I hired. So it's, it's so important to have these conversations because somebody might even be listening right now and be like, I don't even know what that means. Why would I need to meet with someone? But I think the more that we can talk about it, the the easier this is all going to become. I mean, especially just with the rise of how many entrepreneurs there are now, like this needs to be a bigger conversation than I think it ever has been in the past. so many more people need these kinds of relationships, but.
0: Yeah, I think, uh, I think we surrendered to the professional. We say they know best, therefore they will tell me what I need and they will tell me what they want to do for me, but what you're doing is you're handing the keys to the car over to them to drive and you're not putting them in the driver's seat next to you or the passenger seat and still driving. And that's a big important thing is like when you say, well they're the specialist, they should know what I need. Yes, to some extent, they should be communicating, but Not the strongest quality of our profession, admittedly, is communication and and personality, sorry. But sometimes we just need that nudge of, well, where do you want to go? What do you want to do? What support do you need in the business? And that conversation has to take place where it's an open dialogue, understanding your goals and understanding how they can support you.
1: Yeah. I'm going to share this story just in case it's helpful for anyone listening because it's so just illustrative of everything we're talking about right now. But when I signed on with the first firm that I was using, lovely people, like couldn't speak more highly of them, but I didn't have the knowledge going. And I was like, I don't know what I need. I don't know what I need from you. And it got to a point where we were about a month into a year-long container. And I was like, I don't get what's happening. Like, I know I'm paying you, but I don't understand what's going on. I don't understand if X, Y, and Z is going to be included when it comes time for taxes. Who do I ask these questions to? Everything that we're saying right now, right? And they had even given me the framework of like, here's your contact. Here's when we'll contact you about your books every month. But I was like, okay, I I understand that, but I don't get what's happening. So what I did was I created this really long brain dump email that I sent to them of every question I had. And I kind of prefaced it of like, this is going to be a lot, but this is what I'm feeling. Some of these questions aren't going to be super clear because I'm not super clear on them, but I just need help understanding what's going on in these services. And I sent them this huge email just asking, and they were so wonderful in how they responded with a Loom video recording of them being like, Okay like thank you first off for asking because this helps us understand where the disconnect is in communication with our clients like we're saying right now because there's like two different languages that we're speaking or a language that needs to be learned that isn't and they broke it all down for me and it was the most helpful thing that I did and I know that I would have not gotten nearly as much out of that container and that relationship had I not been brave enough to like look stupid quote-unquote and ask the questions.
0: Yeah. And to really think about it and to dive in and and get vulnerable on like, I don't understand this stuff, but I'm going to go try to ask questions and to really dig in. But you know what it is? The mark of a really good professional is not their ability to just answer your question, but to analyze why you're asking that question. What is going on that's triggering you to ask that question and knowing that there's something at play there. Because for me, if I got that email from you, I would say, ah, I need to provide comfort that there is something happening, because forget all the questions literally getting answered. I go, this is expressing there is doubt, concern, and confusion. I need to quell doubt, confusion, and concern for my client right now by explaining what's going on. And I may not even read all the questions or answer them one by one, but I would say, okay, I get what you're saying without you saying it. Like you're saying that you don't really know what's going on, let me just walk you through it. And then you can strip away the questions that I answer through this. That's exactly what they should be doing. But unfortunately, it's not always the case with some professionals. And you have to know when something just doesn't feel right or when you feel like you're not as supported as you should be. Yeah. And I'll just say to their credit, like that is pretty much the undertone of
1: the response, where she was like, okay, I was operating under a bigger impression that people just wanted to hand off their books and never think about it. But she was like, this is so eye opening for me. And I want to let you know and take you on this journey with us. So, you're so right, spot on with even just the dynamic between the client and the professional there. So you had mentioned, don't just hire your dad's accountant. Don't just hire somebody else's, your neighbors, just because. How do we start finding someone? Because there's so many out there, but it's also like, where do you even start to look?
0: Yeah, it's the Wild West. <laughs> I think, I think honestly, I look for a couple of things and most people assume that you need somebody in your state. I'm gonna say right now, you don't. Unless you are going through an audit or something very invasive, you do not need to find a CPA or a bookkeeper or a tax pro or anything in your state. There is actually, spoiler alert, nothing that stops anyone from preparing taxes, credential or none. So you do not need any credential, any experience to call yourself somebody who prepares taxes. So watch out, anyone, anybody can do it. Not great. That makes me nervous. <laughs> I know, that. I know. Think about how we feel. <laughs> There are people out there just like <laughs> ticky-tack tax pros out there, just like doing whatever. But yeah, but back to your question, really, it's how do you find somebody? Well, you have to think about what do you want? What qualities do you want? It's kind of like your ideal client journey and flipping it and going, what do I want in this person? Who's my ideal person to work with? Are they like empathetic? Are they, do they work with women? Do they work with founders like me? Do they work with my industry? Do they know a product-based business? Because I am one. Do they know real estate? Because I have real estate. I love to look at expertise and experience in the exact situations that you are in and have worked with business owners like you who are ahead of you because they can draw from the experience and give you advice. And they also have been there, done that with people like you and they are able to advise you accordingly versus somebody who maybe is used to working with like non-business owners and they work with individuals and then you come along and now you're a complicated client for them. They're confused and they're trying to learn along the way. I mean, ideally, you want to find someone who has experience in what matters to you. So if that's your industry, the level of business you're at, your investment style, your and risk tolerance, number one thing you have to find alignment on, risk tolerance. And by that, I mean, ability to be aggressive or conservative with certain tax positions you take, meaning rounding up or rounding down on those deductions, depending on how you think you can defend those positions when you want to deduct an expense. So you got to find somebody who matches you.
1: Yeah, that was the biggest point of conflict. I mean, conflict's a harsh word, but that I had with the the first firm I was working with was I wanted a more aggressive tax strategy and they didn't feel comfortable. I'm not even saying I was wanted to do anything crazy. They were just very on the conservative side. And I was like, but... There's some, some other stuff that I think that maybe I could be doing,
0: but I can defend this. And I know, I think if, if you know, you can defend it and make a good case for it, then it really comes down to, they don't have to represent you in an audit. Like you could say, I'll defend myself and I'll take the consequences of it, but I'll defend it. Then I say, okay, yeah, the good on you, then you can defend it. There are certain things I will go with and certain things I won't, but you have to really like zoom out and look at the whole business and understand and I will, I'm going to paint with a broad brush and say a lot of CPAs, a lot of tax pros don't generally understand online businesses and don't generally understand the types of expenses that we incur that appear on the surface level to be quite personal, but can have a business angle that is totally legitimate and totally deductible. So you really have to find somebody who kind of gets it.
1: Can you, I know this is off the top of your head, but can you give me an example or a couple examples of those types of expenses that maybe are a little different for online business owners? Tons. So
0: when we think about it, it's, you know, let's just use like an online coach because I know that that's, you know, much of your audience is is online coaches. Now, number one, I will say this. If y'all think I'm going to say makeup, hold the phone. (laughs) No, no, probably not. Unless it's for a specific photo shoot, a specific video shoot, a specific thing that makes you money. I have to look good on camera is not justifiable. Like we all have to look good on camera. We all want to look cute. But I will say this, if it's for a photo shoot, if it's for a specific activity, for a specific, you're hosting an event, you're hosting this, you're speaking on stage, you're doing this, it would work. Because it would be for a particular thing that will that is at a point in time. It's not your biweekly mani petty. <laughs> okay, good distinction. Not the biweekly one. Yeah, but not the biweekly. Same type of
1: idea. I've heard so many different opinions on this. What about clothing that you purchase specifically
0: to wear at an event or for a photo shoot? The question is, after that is over, A, do you return it? Are you doing some rent the runway thing? Because that's pretty obvious that it's like just for that thing. And then that's fine. That's deductible because it was only for that purpose. But if it's like a cute suit that you wear to an event, like we went to Girls Friends and Business and like the outfits we wore would not be considered a deduction just because we want to look cute at this event. Like I'm going to wear that outfit again doing God knows what is street wear at the end of the day that you could wear to any type of event or any workday. There are exceptions to this, by the way, where like I have a client who presents in conferences for beauty professionals and her personality, like her whole brand is like neon color looks like Barbie, right? Like Barbie pink everything. So of course she has a glitter Barbie pink dress with cutouts and all this craziness and these platforms. And I go, she ain't wearing that to Target, okay? Okay. So that's a bit of an extreme situation where I'm like, it's more of a costume than it is an outfit. So when it leans toward like, if I showed that to the IRS and I'm like, look at the video of her on stage wearing it, again, evidence helps. If you are on video recording something official that's like real content, she's on a a video in front of a stadium of people wearing this outfit. And I'm like, that is business. She's selling in this outfit and I've never seen her wear it again. That is a really obvious like, example of that. But it's so nuanced too, Emily with how you make the case for why it is specifically for business and business only.
1: Got it. I like that little distinction there of like almost like a costume. If it's got that
0: feeling to it, then it's more likely to be something that you can deduct. Exactly. Or for a commercial or something, a hilarious thing when we were joking about this with Jason, my husband, he wanted to make some funny commercials, you know, those giant T-Rex inflatable things that run around and they're so cute on the videos. He wanted to buy those and do a commercial with the T-Rexes. And I was like, "Eh, deductions. (laughs) He's like, well, I said, that's wardrobe for the commercial shoot. I go, what? So that would would be kind of funny. (laughs) Yeah. Like you you could, you could pull off some of this stuff, but it's all in how well you can defend that it is a business purpose. Okay, that's super helpful. All right, let's move
1: into the last one here. So CFO, when is the time that we should be starting to look at bringing someone like this into our business?
0: I think a CFO really comes into play when you have hit a plateau. It's kind of like your health journey where you're like, I'm doing okay, I'm maintaining, but I wanna like perform. I wanna go do an Ironman. I wanna go do big shit, right? I wanna go do like a bikini competition. I wanna go do something specific And I want to go all in on driving toward that goal. If you're in that kind of mode as a business owner where you're just getting revved up for like, I really want to grow and I want to scale, that is a great time to hire a CFO to help you strategize that. Another thing would be if you want to raise capital. So if you want to take on investors, you want to restructure, you want to take on partners, you want to just add complexity into your business. You want to have somebody on your side that can help advise you. And that might be when you're starting to think about, hey, who on the team can provide this lens when we have these meetings, when we come to the table. We need somebody who understands this dimension of our business to weigh in on it. That's really what you should be thinking about. So I would say, if I had to, again, paint with a broad brush, I would say north of 500K, definitely, ideally for high six to low seven figures and up.
1: Okay. Sometimes you just really want to be able to ask someone a question. Like you just really want to get a professional's advice on things. And I, uh, Bring that up because there is kind of this in-between tier where it's like you've gotten the most out of the tax strategy for where you're currently at, but there's some questions about like, well, what should I be reaching for next? What should I be pulling in next? What does this mean? How do I get creative where this... For this, where you do want to be able to ask someone like a CFO, but you maybe don't have quite CFO money yet, which is where you've created a really beautiful solution for that is coming to market right now as we speak, as we're recording this, that I would love for you to jam on a little bit here as we start to wrap up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I've created this thing called CFO on Demand. Now, what it was based on is the fact that I have a podcast called Keep What You Earn with a ton of different listeners. They're all in their early stages of business. And I hear from them all the time that's like, I'm trying to grow to be big enough to work with you, Shan. But the funny thing is, I need you to help me get to that point so I can work with you. And it's this circular reference back to I need you, but I can't afford you, but I need you so I can afford you. And I said, okay, not to mention my mission this whole time has been I want financials to be a tool for inspiration, not intimidation. And I want that to be a truth for so many business owners and make a bigger impact. And how can I do that if I'm limiting my roster to 10 clients? How am I serving my overall mission of educating more people? Besides the podcast, I want to be able to help people on a bigger scale. So I said, okay, what can I do? And we came up with this offer and we're so excited about it. It is a community. It's really a messaging channel between me and you as the business owner, where you can ask me questions, quote unquote, pick my brain. And you can attend group calls where we're going to go through trainings on how to break through that seven figures, how to grow your business, how to become that next level business owner from a financial perspective. You can bring your financials to the table and talk through stuff. We want to actually start the conversations around money. Because like I said, a lot of it is just the conversations aren't happening, whether it's your a professional in you, not seeing eye to eye and not asking the right questions, you could literally come to the table in CFO On Demand and say, Shannon, what should I be asking my tax pro when they send me my tax return? I will tell you. So it's not just about your numbers. It's also about how do I interact with my pro better? You know, what should I be asking them? How can I show up a little bit more intelligently in my next meeting about my numbers? What are the four numbers I need to know and help me memorize them, help me understand what they are. And nobody's really like sitting beside you and handholding and doing that. So we are doing that. It's called CFO On Demand and we have two tiers one of which is the group where you can get access to me and my team and the group calls the other is a vip where you can actually book 20 minute one on one sessions with me and bring your stuff to the table and we can dive in and try to get you some quick wins and all of that is under 100 dollars a month so it's really really accessible to the early stage business owner it should be a no brainer and we just wanted to make it more accessible to more people and it's at the cfoondemand.com is where you can find any information about the program
1: in incredible. Like this is such a deal and such a golden idea. I am so glad that you are doing this because like we've been saying this whole podcast here, this whole episode is it's just so important to have access to these conversations because you don't even know ahead of time what questions you need to be asking until you hit a situation where you're like, shoot, I wish I could ask somebody these questions. But maybe the only person I know is again, like my dad's accountant who maybe has no idea what the online space is like and what's going on and what help I really even need. So this is such an incredible idea. I'm so excited about this and so glad that you get to share all of this with my listeners and your audience as well. I know because we're talking about it off camera as well. You also have a resource that summarizes really beautiful everything that we went through today. Can you tell people what that's called and where they can find it? And we'll, of course, link it in the show
0: notes as well afterwards. Absolutely. So for free, guys, you can go to moneypromatchmaker.com to get Money Pro Matchmaker, which is basically my whole guide of how to work with your professional better. It's almost like this like therapy guide of how to communicate with your professional. But it's also a... It's a great tool because it teaches you what each professional will do, what questions they can answer for you, what their focus area is, what their goal is for you of what they're going to do for your business. And you'll kind of know at what level you should be investing in which professional and what to look for. So we tell you, here's what to look for in terms of qualities, what questions to ask, so that you just have a better working relationship because we just want to elevate the relationship you have with your professional. And again, make it a source of inspiration, not intimidation, one step at a time. Even if it's not with us, we want you to have a better relationship with the person you work with.
1: Boom, done, mic drop. I'm like, that is so good. Everybody needs this. So please run to the show notes after this episode, get the resources that you need, connect with Shannon, thank her for all of the knowledge that she has dropped on this episode because it is so helpful and so needed. Shannon, thank you so much for coming on.
0: Thank you, always appreciate it.
1: Fantastic. All right, you guys, I will see you in the next episode.